everyone, it's Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart Girl podcast, Biblical Encouragement for Women of All Ages. Today, we're going to continue in our relationship series, and I'd like to go deep into the issue of purity, and specifically, gaining a correct view of purity. And I want to share with you keys to a purity commitment that really lasts, because we live in a Christian culture where we see a lot of commitments to purity, but also a lot of failures. And there are even blogs being written by young Christians today saying, you know, all of the true love waits and the promise rings and all the books that were written that told us we should wait. They're just a joke. They're unrealistic. They don't work. They don't lead to anything better in marriage. And just really questioning and attacking the whole concept of a commitment to purity. And I want to explore the reason that that is happening. Why do we have so many commitments and so many failures? There was a girl who I met one time who was in college, and she told me her story of why she failed in her commitment to purity, and I thought, it's a very common story, and I wanted to share it with you. She grew up in a Christian home. She had her promise ring from the age of 13. She had a very clear understanding of the fact that she was going to wait and save her purity and wait for her husband, and yet she went away to college And she began to just allow little compromises into her life. She started to go with her friends to chick flicks, and she started to watch movies that glorified immorality and sort of mocked purity. And the way that they glorified immorality is they made it seem like getting involved with someone physically before marriage can actually be a good thing. You're following your heart. You know, it's healthy. It's romantic. And she started to question and think, why is a commitment to purity such a big deal anyway? And as she began to have those thoughts and think, you know, I don't know that it's such a big deal. Um, look at how romantic it seems in these movies when these people don't have purity. And she was just surrounded by the opposite message and she began to agree with it. And so it didn't take her long to compromise in her own life as soon as she had the opportunity. And she was devastated over her choice, but it wasn't a commitment. Her commitment to purity was not first and foremost, a commitment to Jesus Christ. It was just a commitment to a concept, something that she had grown up with that she had always been told was the right thing to do, but she didn't have it so deeply rooted in her soul and it wasn't coming from the right motives. And that is why it quickly fell by the wayside when she was out from under her parents' influence and the influence of her church leaders. And so there's a growing attitude today that purity commitments are unrealistic and they really don't lead to a beautiful love story And God's not that interested in the whole aspect of purity. He'll just bless our choices. So why should we even bother? It's a very lax attitude. And purity has gotten a very bad rap in the past 10 years or so in Christianity. So I want to explore the question, why is real purity so rare even in the church today? And I want to give you a few reasons that I've observed in my 20 plus years of ministry and especially focusing on the topic of relationships. I believe the number one reason that real purity is so rare, purity that lasts, is because we have an incorrect understanding of it. We don't understand real purity. I used to look at my purity as the edge of a cliff. People told me, you know, don't cross this line. And once you cross this line, you've given up your purity. Well, I looked at my purity as the edge of a cliff. I thought, well, as long as I don't fall off the edge, I can inch my way a little closer, closer, closer. And I got to the very, very edge of the cliff. Now, by the time I was on the edge of that cliff, I 
knew that I had already lost my purity. Somewhere in my soul, I knew that I had given up something that was so valuable, even though I hadn't actually crossed that line. And yet, according to the standards of everyone around me, it's like, well, I haven't crossed that line, so I guess I'm still pure. The verse that changed my entire perspective on purity was in Proverbs 31, talking about the wife of godly character, where it says, she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And I thought, wow, here's a woman who is actually doing her husband good and not harm all the days of her life, even before she meets him. And as I looked at the way I was living on the edge of the cliff, looking at purity as just a line I was not supposed to cross, that gave me so much leeway to say, well, I can give my heart to this guy. I can give my mind and my emotions to this guy, this other guy that I know I'm not going to marry. I can I can get involved physically with these different guys and yet still maintain my purity. But I wasn't honoring God and I wasn't certainly wasn't honoring my future husband. If he was watching the things that I was doing, he would be very hurt and disturbed by it. And that really revolutionized my understanding that purity is so much more than a line that you're not supposed to cross. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 26, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside may also be clean. And that is the key to real purity. We have to clean the inside of the cup and dish, not just the outside. If you just make an outward commitment to purity, but inwardly you aren't committed to purity, you're not guarding your heart, you're not guarding your thoughts, you're not guarding your mind, then it's really just a facade. It's not a real commitment to purity. Eric and I were invited to a pro-life banquet and they were talking about how they wanted to raise millions of dollars to really promote the idea of purity and waiting until marriage and true love waits and all of these things. And the whole focus of the evening was how abstinence was so important. Abstinence was the only thing that mattered. If we could just get these kids to make an abstinence commitment, you know, then all of these problems with um, unwanted pregnancies and STDs and abortion would just sort of go away because abstinence is the key. And the problem was they were committed to the principle of abstinence rather than committed to Jesus Christ. So when it comes to purity, we often try to clean the outside of the cup or dish. It's like, let's just get an abstinence commitment. And we completely neglect the inside. Devotion to Jesus Christ, a surrendered heart to him, a desire to please him above all else. Purity is the natural byproduct of a pure heart mind, and soul. If Jesus is in his rightful place, then purity of heart, mind, and body is going to be the natural result. So that, I believe, is the first reason that we have so many failures in the area of purity is that we have an incorrect understanding of what purity is. Purity really does come from a heart that says, Lord Jesus, my life is not my own. It's been bought with a price. This body is your temple. I belong to you from the inside out. The second reason that I believe so many purity commitments fail is that we often have the wrong motives for purity. We go into a purity commitment all too often from a selfish vantage point rather than a vantage point that says, I am so desiring to honor Jesus Christ in this area of my life that no commitment is too great a sacrifice to make for him. I remember when I was growing up in youth group, people would always try to present me with these self reasons for why I should maintain a purity commitment. One was, you know, why would you want to eat a greasy hamburger now when if you just waited, you could have a 
amazing steak dinner? Or why would you want to open your Christmas presents early? And both of those were, first of all, very weak arguments because I, I liked hamburgers way more than steak and I didn't care when I opened my presents. So none of, that didn't work on me at all. But also it was the wrong motive. It was basically saying, don't you see, you can have something so much better for your life if you do this, as opposed to saying, Jesus Christ is worthy. He is worthy to be obeyed. He is worthy to be honored in this area of your life. So when it comes to purity, we are all too often committed to a concept instead of to a person. A commitment to purity must flow out of a heart that longs to love, honor, and glorify Jesus Christ above all else. Because when purity is just a philosophy or a concept or an abstinence commitment, we can easily be talked out of it. You know, a lot of times we try to use, when we reach young people with with an abstinence commitment, we use scare tactics. It's like, or this is just what's popular in youth groups today, scare tactics. Like, look at what's going to happen to you. You know, these STDs and these unwanted pregnancies if you do this. Or think about your future. Have some self-respect. You know, think about how this will affect your life if you do this. Or, you know, you really need to honor yourself and respect yourself by living this way. Now, those motives might be fine for the public schools when you're not able to speak a Christian message and that's really all you can give them. But in, in churches and for the Christian soul, those are not the right motives to present for why to maintain a purity commitment. The wrong motives are this. What will I get out of this deal? Will it make me happier? Or I'm just living this way to please my parents and my church leaders. The right motive for purity is this. Jesus has given everything for me. Will I not give him everything in return? When you think about the fact that we are the temple of the Most High God, and this temple has been purchased with his precious blood, and he asks us to remain pure, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually, then you have to ask that question, is he not worthy? It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to God. Your body and your spirit belong to God. You were bought at a price. This was the famous question we always asked in youth group growing up. How far is too far? We wanted to know how close to the line, how close to the edge of that cliff could we go before it was truly technically a sin. And it was really another way of asking the question, you know, how much personal selfish gratification can I get and still be on God's good side? But the right question is an entirely different question. How far can I possibly go to honor and please my king in this area of my life? When you begin to ask that question, and you're not just committed to abstinence or the concept of purity, but you're committed to a person, Jesus Christ, that is a commitment that cannot easily be talked out of you or laughed out of you. The third reason I believe that we don't have lasting commitments to purity in the church today is that we don't understand the significance of the marriage covenant. We just sort of look at marriage as No, I'm ready to finally make a commitment to one person, but a covenant is so much deeper than a mere commitment. As we've talked about in previous podcasts, Jesus made a covenant with us when he offered us his body and his blood, basically saying, all that I have and all that I am 
is yours. And then when we accept that covenant by taking communion and offering ourselves to God, we say, Lord, all that I have and all that I am now belongs to you. And that is what a covenant is. It's very serious in the eyes of God, and it is not to be broken by anything but death. There was a young woman who used to work for our ministry, and I remember her asking the question, why is purity such a big deal to God? She was in a relationship with a guy, and they had every intention of getting married, and she thought, I don't really see why waiting in the area of physical purity is that big of a deal. And so she began to lower her standards, and and this couple went down a very dangerous and wrong and destructive path because they were taking the marriage covenant lightly. They were not recognizing that it was only when they entered into that covenant that physical intimacy was appropriate. There is such a significant thing that happens on a wedding day. There's a transfer of authority. A woman comes out from under her parents' authority and comes under her husband's authority. And it's a day when two lives become one flesh in a lifelong covenant before God and the witnesses that are there. And even if you are in a serious relationship headed towards marriage, the Bible is clear on how we are to treat each other in that situation. It says in 1 Timothy 5.2, treat younger women as sisters with all purity. That's, that's an exhortation to young men. It doesn't say, you know, except if you plan on marrying one of them. You know, then you don't need to have all purity. It says treat younger women, all younger women, as sisters with all purity. And in Ephesians 5.3, it says, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. Not even a hint. And I think it's so, we take this so lightly today. We think, well, a little bit closer to the cliff, a little bit closer here and there. I'm just not crossing the line, so it doesn't really matter. And God says, not even a hint of sexual immorality. My dad offered some great advice to Eric and I when we were first entering into our relationship. He said, the best way to build a relationship is to first cultivate spiritual unity then emotional unity, and then physical unity is to be saved until marriage. And so many of us today get that backwards. We try to cultivate physical unity or maybe emotional unity first and then add the spiritual unity on top of that. But by that time, our emotions and our physical desires have basically taken over the relationship. And it's very hard to keep Christ at the center when our emotions and our physical desires are in control. Spiritual unity means coming to God and saying, Lord, you are the the Lord and the leader of this relationship. We are not going to let our emotions control it or our physical desires control it. And when you engage with someone physically, even if it's something that seems harmless enough, it can so easily lead to a slippery slope. Eric and I chose to save our first kiss until our wedding day. We had very little physical interaction before we were married. We prayed for a long time to even decide whether we should hold hands because we had both been in relationships before where physical engagement with somebody was treated very lightly. It was taken, it wasn't taken seriously at all. So, well, it's just a kiss. It's just a hug. It's just this. It's just that. It's not anything serious. And yet we had seen how something like a kiss had lost its beauty. It had lost its sacredness and how those things, the excitement of a kiss just quickly wears off. And pretty soon you're tempted to go to the next level because it's like, well, it's just a kiss. It's no big deal. We didn't want any of those things to happen in our relationship. And we wanted to honor God by saying even something as simple as a kiss is going to be a symbol of the covenant that we are entering into before God. That was not an easy commitment to to keep. And I would say that, you know, people have asked, well, is it a sin to kiss before you're married? And I would say the Bible isn't very clear about that. 
But I would say that because we chose to save that first kiss until our wedding day, it led to more beauty and intimacy in our marriage because it was saved for the moment when we entered into that lifelong covenant relationship. There are are a lot of things I could share with you about purity, but those are some of the key principles. If you can remember that having the right understanding of purity, having the right motive for purity, and understanding how significant the marriage covenant is, it will keep you in a commitment to purity that can't just easily uh, fall by the wayside the moment that you encounter temptation. So whether you're counseling someone in this area, whether you're a, a parent that needs to walk a child through an understanding of this, or whether you're walking through this in your own life, I encourage you to take a deeper look at purity in God's pattern and not just treat it as a flippant commitment that you need to make to a concept, but an outflow of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Some final thoughts that I want to share with you. There are many books, seminars, and teachings out there today about how to live in purity. But if you have the wrong motive for purity, or if you embark upon a commitment to purity with a half-hearted devotion to an idea, like I said, like, oh, this is the right thing to do, rather than because Jesus Christ alone is worthy of everything, then you will either fail or you'll be miserable the whole time. God came up with the concept of purity not to make us miserable, but to bless us beyond all that we could hope or imagine. Remember that he alone is the author of true love and romance. If you entrust this area of your life completely into his hands and commit yourself entirely to his ways, as an outflow of love for him, you'll experience his very best in this area of your life, whether you're married or single. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. For more on this topic, visit the resources that we have at setapartgirl.com and especially look at our new online course called Secrets to an Amazing Love Story, which is available in our online store. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.